Hey everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Welcome back to the Startup Pregnant Podcast. We are in the middle of a two-part series interviewing Tracy and Karina. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back one episode and listen to the first half of this interview, where we get to hear about their path to motherhood, the ups and downs of getting pregnant, and how they bring intentionality into their parenting style. And if you're a communications geek, trust me, you'll want to go back because they share and we geek out on the Imago communication style and how it can improve your relationships. In today's episode, we're continuing where we left off. And we'll be digging into a conversation about what a parental leave policy can look like. And we invite you listeners to join us in the question of what it takes to create a good leave policy. I heard a new idea for the first time. Karina, who works at August, shared with us the idea of having an advocate inside your office whose job it is to keep you up to date and informed on any major changes that happen so your transition back to work can be made easier. What a solid idea, right? And how cool it is that somebody's putting this into practice already. It makes sense because Karina works at August, and they are an organizational change company that focuses on bringing existing companies into the new world of work, including carving out paths for what that looks like. So we're going to start with Karina and dig into what she does at August, and then we're going to open up the conversation about designing parental leave policies. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. This podcast is sponsored by Meet Edgar, a social media scheduling tool. With Edgar, you only have to create content once, and he does the hard work for you, making your content go further. As a busy parent and an entrepreneur, I don't have 10 hours a week to do social media scheduling. Who has 10 hours a week for that? To try it out for two weeks for free, go to ed.gr slash startup pregnant and get access to a free trial. You will be in love with them as soon as you realize just exactly what Edgar does for you. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. Karina, you also work at an amazing company. And in starting this podcast, you reached out to me because you wanted to talk about navigating parenting. And I reached out to you at the same time because I heard about what you did with your parental leave policy and pioneering part of that. So I'm so glad we're on the show able to talk about all of this. Karina, I would love to ask you, why don't you start by telling us about the company August as separate from your child, August? (laughs) And what is August? And how did you get there? So August, the company, not the baby, we'll get back to that later, Mm -hmm. is a future of work consultancy We work with large-scale enterprise corporations, nonprofit, government agencies. What we try to help organizations do is transition from a way of working that most organizations work within right now that comes from a hundred years ago, comes from kind of the industrial model where management is top-down, leadership is consolidated at the top. There's a focus on sort of execution and delivery, communication, pockets tend to be closed to a way of working that's more and right-sized to the 21st century. 
given the rate of change, given the amount of complexity in our world, whether it's technologically, demographically, that our organizations are facing now. So we help organizations where leadership is more about having teams work autonomously, not be managed in hierarchical structures that are radically transparent and that are focused on continuous learning and iteration. And it's a really different way of thinking about managing a business or a nonprofit or a government agency. And it's a really different way of working day to day. So the thing that we do, which I think is pretty unique, is when we work with an organization, we embed really deeply. So when I'm working with a group, I'm on site, working with teams, coaching, facilitating, offering strategy advice, helping them think about everything from the design of their organization, the design of their teams, the way that they work, what cadence they work on, what process tools they use, all to help them sort of embrace agility, be able to process change at speed. So... Tracy and I finally have landed in a similar place. We're both really concerned with what are the ways that we need to be working together that are fit for the future. And I think what we do at August is offer really practical tools, training, support, framework, theory to help organizations make that transition from sort of old models to new models. We are a group of 18 people. So we're a startup ourselves. We've been around for two and a half years. And we, as a group within our small firm, are sort of a, an incubator, like a petri dish for the most kind of radical cutting edge practices around self-management and organization. So for example, we have no bosses, we have no managers, all roles in the organization are elected. They are filled on four month cycles with the exception of just a couple of roles. And people organize around the work. They do not have given functional areas. Everyone is just a team member. We all also have the ability to edit our organization. So we have the ability in what we call governance sessions to create policy, to originate roles, to change roles, to change the way that we fundamentally work together. And one of the ways that this showed up is that when I came into August, we had, which is an amazingly generous thing, a 16-week parental leave policy. And frankly, that is the reason that I took the job because Tracy was two or three months pregnant at the time. And I nervously sort of disclosed that in my interview and said, is the 16-week policy real? Do people take it? Is it a real thing? And the answer I got was, yeah, it's a real thing, but no one's taken it yet. I was going to be the first person within the company to actually go on parental leave. And the amazing thing about our company is I was able to define what that looked like. So before I left, I worked with some of my colleagues to create what we call a parental leave advocate, which was someone on our team who was responsible for communicating with me, advocating my point of view in my 16 weeks of absence, communicating with me about certain things that we had set a threshold. And if they were above that threshold of concern, I should be contacted. They were responsible for making sure that I got elected into the roles that I wanted to be elected into when I came back so that I didn't lose momentum. And I created for them an outline of what my goals were. And they were responsible for keeping those goals top of mind and making sure that I was well positioned in the organization coming back to meet those goals. It was just an incredible opportunity to sit down and dream up what would make parental leave not an anxiety-producing, lean-out, for lack of a better term, moment for me, but an engaging, empowering, actually accelerating moment for me in my career, and what would allow me to be able to fully disconnect in the ways that I needed to fully disconnect. So 
We brought a proposal. We created the role. We made clear what the accountabilities were. It was made clear. It was completely up to me to decide how I wanted to take that time. And then I was able to take the leave and it worked out beautifully, I think, because I had control over the way that it went. And that's what's incredible about this organization, that we are all able to participate in the creating of a structure and a workplace that we want to live and work in. And those 16 weeks were transformative. I will say the last month solo parenting was the hardest. Mm. And I have incredible empathy for people that are caring full time for children. I mean, that is emotionally, intellectually, physically incredibly challenging work and sets up really interesting dynamics with the parent that is getting up and leaving for work every day. But I was just so profoundly glad to have that experience and that our company enabled that for me. So what was it about the point of view of August? Do you think that that lent itself to even making this conversation possible? Because you're focused on organizational change and you're like this set of entrepreneur consultants that are deployed to lots of different organizations to make a ruckus. And to help them in so many ways. I've been following this company for a while, actually. It surprised me to hear that you were only two and a half years old because I, so many friends have forwarded me what you have done. What do you think were some of the conditions that made this conversation specifically around parental leave one that your team was able to have? I think it's about a deep principle about walking the walk. You know, we go and we talk about the future of work and we go and we talk about what it means to create a workplace where people are happy engaged, feel seen and heard, and to offer a time policy that was anything less than 16 weeks, which is on the generous side of a sort of US paradigm for leave policies, I think would have felt hypocritical. So I think the conditions are we go out and we talk to others about what to do. So we have to model it ourselves. And then in terms of being able to actually operationalize that policy in a way that was satisfying, I think just simply the way that we work every day, whether it's about how we create roles or policies about how we deliver work to our clients, like the fundamental assumption is that we all participate and we all drive. You don't have to wait for permission to change the system to make it work for you. You take action, you make a proposal, you get consent of the team and you do it. So I think this, the, the conditions that we go out and cause that ruckus in other organizations are quite fertile. Like the ground is really fertile within the organization. And so it's just about taking the opportunity when it's given to you, which I think we did in terms of shaping this, patern this uh, parental leave. And I do think it's important that it's parental leave and not maternity leave. And I want to sort of in the spirit of call out. We were talking before about these amazing things that women can do and how they change their productivity because of the time and the pressures placed on them as women. Like the reason that women have to be superheroes is because of the way that the system does not allow men to participate. Men don't have leave. Mm -hmm. They have cultural expectations that ask them to show up in a specific way. I would imagine that men do not get the same productivity gains because it's not demanded of them, where it is demanded of women. And I don't think it's just because of the biological imperative of breastfeeding. And so I think we have to be careful to have a conversation around parental leave and even family leave. You know, there are people in my organization that are also caring for elders. And a lot of the conversations around caregiving, time pressures, and how you manage when you're being a caregiver to someone else are absolutely the same. And we need the same kind of liberties if we want to have healthy families and healthy communities. So I just think it's important to 
widen the scope out a little bit. And also, of course, remember that there are people that don't identify as men or women who are parents too, people who identify as non-binary, and that a lot of this stuff, a lot of these struggles are, are the same for them. And so we need to be having a really inclusive, broad conversation around what it means to be learning from being parents out there in the world. So just wanted to make sure I said that. Mm. It's so, so important because there are so many people for whom they don't have access to a policy that's called a maternity leave because it doesn't technically apply to them. And yet they are still parents and they still go through all of the same struggles. There's a Harvard Business Review article. I don't have the title, but I'll put it in the show notes. Like I don't have the title memorized, but it's like there's only two things you need for a parental leave policy that works. And I'd love to know what you think about this, or if you've read it, the article goes like this. There are two things you need. Number one, you need, I think it's four weeks, it might be six weeks, you need disability leave for the person who's giving birth, because that takes time to recover from. I'm going to call it six weeks, and I'll correct myself in the show notes if it's four, but you need disability leave, and then all parents, no matter who the parent is, no matter how many parents there are, get a paid 12 weeks off. Like, that's it. That's all you need to do. And I was like, wow, that actually is very simple. So I'm curious to know, have you run across this? Is this something? How does that sit with the both of you? Uh, Let me make sure I'm understanding. So the thing that they said you need is disability. What did you say for four or six weeks for the person who gave birth? Exactly. There's a disability leave for the birth. And then there's an equal parental leave for all parents. In addition, so the person who gave birth gets that disability plus 12 weeks? Exactly. And do you mean disability in like you apply for like worker disability, like short term disability, or it's just categorized as that? It's categorized as that. And I think they were doing that because there is a difference between the person who is giving birth or having a C-section and needing to recover and somebody who might not be going through that particular experience. And it was wild because I'd never seen it presented that way, but it seemed to simplify things so much. But again, I'm not the expert. Go ahead. I don't know if I agree with that because when you are the person that needs the recovery time, I mean, you can't be doing that by yourself. You know, you can't, you need somebody to hand you a glass of water and say, drink this. And so you should at least have another person should be able to get that disability time too. I mean, that's the caretaking time. And maybe you don't call it disability time or maybe you do and it's assumed under that title and like not to get too detailed about it. But I don't know. I mean, I needed that help. And Karina was just as exhausted as me. I mean, she was able to move around in a way that I wasn't in the beginning, but she was holding the baby when I wasn't. And we needed family there to be able to say, I'm making you scrambled eggs right now. I'm here, eat these, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if I agree that just because you've given you've given birth that you're the only one that should get that disability time. Karina, what do you think? Yeah. I think the framing of healing and recovery from pregnant from birth as disability is, is complicated. Like I recognize that that's a loophole sort of like that the way that that stuff gets covered. But I think that the, like, yes, there is absolutely a physical medical reality to a person who's given birth needing to recover. But I think that the like the transformative, the traumatic, the disruptive nature of birth. She cuts out here for just a second. But what she's getting at is that this disruptive, traumatic nature of birth applies to both parents or all parents. And she goes on to say that framing a great parental leave policy as just 12 weeks is misguided. Because I do think that it's the 
the support and the framing around it and the way that the culture of an organization absorbs and is resilient in the face of someone exiting and returning, like how much permission there is, how much support, how much Mm -hmm. development there is. It makes the difference between parental leave being a thing that feels crappy or a thing that feels like it creates space for transformation. Because returning to work after being a parent is not just about figuring out a way to get back to normal. It's really about transforming the way that you operate in the world and in work. And there's a major identity shift And I think organizations simply do not do enough to acknowledge and accommodate that. So I would say that's a great start. But to me, that's not all you need, I would Mm. say. Mm. I love that. So there's so many questions here. And I'm so glad that you both dove in into this question, because I think everybody listening, we can ask the question back. What does it mean to have a great supportive parental leave policy that works for lots of different situations? And what's missing from this conversation or this article? I can even imagine the two of you writing a response piece to this Harvard business piece and saying, this is great. You know, here's a start, but we disagree with this. And also what you're pioneering with August with having the advocate and somebody who says, actually, as an organization, we carry each other forward and we advocate for each other and we don't leave people behind. And that is such a radical perspective in today's work. I think also, too, just to piggyback on what Karina is saying about how returning to work is an entire transformation and how organizations don't, you know, have support systems in place to take that on. Flexibility, I think, is such an important part of work that sometimes it can be informal based on whatever you have worked out with your manager. But flexibility policies are definitely part of the future of work. At LMHQ, we're having work, W-E-R-K, here for our women's breakfast next week to talk about why they started a business to promote companies that have flexibility in place in order for women or caregivers or parents who really need that space and time to be able to do work on their own time and how face time is not necessarily important, but results are. And that's, you know, systemic in that way. But I think also one thing that is really overlooked is postpartum depression and this identity crisis or this identity shift that Karina mentioned you know, you don't really have to go into like a whole, you know, full-blown postpartum depression in order to really feel kind of off your game. You know, exhaustion is just one part of it. And to not really have even just the baseline of empathy in a workplace. A lot of workplaces are not vulnerable spaces. You don't have psychological safety um, in order to really show up and try to do your best on any given day with, you know, all of this going on, especially if you're the breastfeeding parent, which you still have hormones going a little crazy. So I think that's really important too. I mean, the return to the workplace to allow a little bit more of a vulnerable space where there's transparency and open dialogue or having a communicative space, I think is really important. What you're doing with the parental leave policy advocate transition, that's just like it's unheard of. This needs to be broadcast everywhere. I totally agree. Let's get the word out, right? Like, yeah. There's a, good, there's a good way to do this. And I definitely think I had a good experience. And I don't know, Tracy, do you think I had a better experience than you because of the August policy? Um, a better experience in terms of advocating for what you needed or what, in what way? Yeah, just in terms of my connection to work during the leave. Mm. Um, 
don't know. I mean, your organization is set up to be much more of a safe, psychological, vulnerable, communicative space than my organization is. My organization is more of like traditional nonprofit. So I think that probably, yeah, I would agree. But I don't know. Everybody kind of navigates what they have to the best of their ability. And I think I tried to do that. Right. And there's so many organizations where they're not intending to be the masculine prototype of the 1920s, but because they didn't have intentionality about what their point of view was in the beginning, end up having a lot of that in their culture. Yeah, for sure. Which people don't understand. It's like, well, we don't do that. It's like, yeah, but you don't not do that. I always think it's amazing when startups don't offer any sort of family leave and they're like, well, you know, we just can't afford it. We're a startup. And (laughs) I just always think... You have a budget, right? You know, you raised money with an intention to spend it on certain things. So you just didn't value or prioritize this asset for your company, you know? Right. I actually think that you just can't afford not to from a talent perspective, personally. Like I never, I never would have come to August and I think I'm doing a good job here if it hadn't been for the policy. Simple as that. Never would have come. All right, listeners, at this point, I'll turn it over to you because you can hear that we're beginning to have the start of a very intricate and important conversation about what parental leave policy looks like everywhere from the smallest startup to the biggest organization, from each individual as they navigate it independently to the corporations that are enacting these policies. It's not an easy conversation to have, and we have introduced you here to a lot of different ideas about what it can look like. The conversation isn't finished, so check out the show notes if you want to learn more. I'll link up the articles that I referenced and the work that both Tracy and Karina are doing. And if you have any resources that you want to share or you want to chime in on this conversation, head over to the blog at startuppregnant.com. There is a post for this episode. It's in the show notes as well, so it'll be easy. You can click on it. And on the post, you can chime in with any resources that you've used to navigate your own parental leave policies. The work that you both are doing and the questions that you're asking and these perspectives on what the future of work looks like and what the future of these conversations around gender sound like and act like and talk like and smell like, all of these questions that you're asking I have been following along, and I'm so grateful that you were able to join us on this podcast. And I want to say out loud also that I'm so grateful that you joined me with a five-month-old because quite certainly you're not getting enough sleep right now and you're overworked. So taking the time to be here is really meaningful to me and to everybody listening. So thanks so much. Thanks Thanks for for having having us. us. so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, if you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories, what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit it home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, if you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. 
We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on StartupPregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.